We're going through a series uh, called Eating with Jesus. And if you look in your bulletins, uh, today's scripture passage is printed here for us. And uh, it's a short passage. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it's probably a passage I have no business preaching, but we're going to look at it anyway. And it comes from Luke chapter 37, verses 42. And uh, here's what it says. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So as I said, what we're doing is we're going through instances in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus shares a meal with people. And in more than any other Gospel narrative, more than Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke's Gospel actually records a lot of meals that Jesus shares with people. And oftentimes when he has a meal with somebody, it accompanies some kind of teaching. Now in the ancient world, meals are also oftentimes the context in which things like discussion, things like debate would take place. And I don't know about you, but to me it feels like uh, those kind of spaces are harder to find. And most debates now in our culture take place online, uh, via social media, via things like Twitter and Facebook. And most of the time, debates, uh, people don't know each other. Sometimes people are anonymous. There's a lot of uh, caricaturing. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of uh, not really understanding. And uh, in the ancient world, meals were actually a place where you just kind of sit face-to-face with people and you talk, you discuss, you debate. Sometimes there would be a teacher and people would kind of eavesdrop and see what this teacher is saying. And maybe in our, our culture, in our society, we need more spaces like this, uh, more places to sit face-to-face, especially with those whom we might disagree with, and just have a conversation, just chat over a meal, uh, as Jesus oftentimes did. Uh, in the West, people tend to believe that things like religion, things like faith, are supposed to remain in the private realm. So we're uncomfortable when we talk about these things over the dinner table. We should keep things light. We should keep things jovial. We should keep things uh, superficial. Uh, but I, I would say maybe what we need most in order to really understand one another is to really talk about things that lay the foundation for who who we are and what we believe. And uh, I think one of the best places to do that is just do it over a meal. Today we're going to talk about a meal, and this time this meal involves two sisters, Martha and Mary, and of course it doesn't explicitly say that they were eating, but I think we can uh, assume that they were eating and that they were sharing a meal because Martha invites Jesus into her home. And up to this point, we've seen that Jesus has said and has done a lot of things that were unexpected in those days. For example, he ate with tax collectors, one of the most despised people in that world, He allowed a woman who was probably a prostitute let her hair down and wash his feet at a Pharisee's table. And if you're familiar with who Jesus is and if you're familiar with the kind of things that he did, then maybe you read these things and you're not as shocked or as surprised as people in the ancient world would have been. And to you, you say, well, of course Jesus did that. He cares for the broken. He cares for the needy. He cares for the poor. But you see, the passage that we're going to look at today, I think I would imagine that it would probably throw at least some of us off Because why is Jesus giving Martha a hard time here when all she is trying to do here is serve Jesus? Why is Mary the one who is commended here when maybe to us it seems like Mary is the one who is being lazy? She's not doing anything. All she's doing is she is sitting down at the feet of Jesus. She's not helping her sister be a good host. Now, New York. (coughs) Uh, New York, it tends to, I think, attract a lot of 
ambitious people, which means that it, it attracts a lot of hardworking people, a lot of type A people. And one of the reasons why simple things like cultivating friendships, uh, one of the simple things like building community is such a challenge and so difficult in New York is because it feels like nobody has time for it, right? It feels like everybody's just busy all the time. Uh, the city has just this pace of life and this kind of work culture that's probably not healthy for people where we just kind of get worn down and tired. We're always doing something. We always have to fill our calendar with something. And if we have some spare time, then, hey, let's devote it more to our work. And I think at the same time, on the flip side, we also live in a culture where maybe we judge people who are lazy a little bit more harshly than other cultures, or maybe we even judge ourselves a little bit more harshly when we feel like we're not being productive. And uh, this is the kind of culture, I think, that we live in uh, in this city. Now, hard work and pr productivity, of course, are not bad things, right? They're, they're actually good things, but they can become bad things when they become our greatest and our highest priority. And I think one of the signs in which we can understand that productivity is too much of a priority for us is when we have a difficulty or a hard time resting. And oftentimes when we have a difficult and hard time resting, that's also accompanied by a lot of anxiety in our hearts. Now isn't it interesting that in one of the Ten Commandments, God commands the people of Israel to rest. He says, observe the Sabbath rest. Why? I think it's because people would not choose to rest. Rest uh, takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of trust. Uh, I know there are times when we don't rest because we believe our work is just so important. But if you think about it compared to older cultures, our culture, we still value leisure. We still value vacation. We still value uh, doing things like that. But consider what it would have been like to work maybe in an agrarian, agrarian society. And maybe the Sabbath day, it can really get in the way of uh, your fruitfulness in terms of the harvest. Uh, maybe uh, the day of harvest falls on the Sabbath day, and that's like the best day to harvest uh, all of the uh, things that you planted and, and grew. Maybe there's pests uh, invading your harvest, and you say, you on the Sabbath day, you say, oh, I wish I could work so I can do something about this. They're eating all my crops. Maybe in the ancient world, rest is something that's, that's harder. But rest is important, and God commands rest. And I think there's a spiritual reason for this, because when we rest... Ultimately, it's saying this, that my world is not going to fall apart or the world is not going to fall apart if I rest. I once read a pastor and he said, one of the most humble things that we can do as human beings is we sleep. We sleep. Sleep says we have limits. Sleep says that the world won't fall apart if I don't do my work. Now, when we make productivity our highest priority, I think the other thing we do is we, we tend to draw a lot of meaning and purpose and significance out of what we do. Uh, in other words, we become people who are very achievement-oriented. We feel great about ourselves when we accomplish our goal, or we feel great about ourselves when we achieve something, but on the flip side, we get a little bit anxious, or we get a little bit down, or we get a little bit depressed when we don't accomplish or achieve anything. Uh, we like to set goals for ourselves, and it feels good when we achieve those goals because it gives us meaning and purpose. And of course, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can make us lose sight of the ultimate thing. And that's why I think many of us pr can probably relate to somebody like Martha while we tend to judge somebody like Mary. Martha, she's being productive here. She is serving Jesus. She's actually being useful, and she's doing something useful. Uh, she's preparing a meal. She's serving. But what is Mary doing? Mary, all she's doing is she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving his teaching. And maybe we say, Mary, she's being the lazy one, right? She's not being the good host, right? 
But what's surprising here, and I think what throws maybe some of us off here, is that Jesus doesn't say to Martha, Martha, thank you. Right? Martha, you're such a good servant. Martha, I'm just so thankful that you're working so hard to serve. But rather, Jesus gives Martha this very gentle rebuke. Why? I think there's two reasons that we see in our passage. The first reason is Martha was distracted with much serving. And the second, Martha was anxious and troubled about many things. Now, first, I, I find it very interesting that Martha here is described as someone who is distracted with much serving. She's distracted. Now, what is a distraction? What happens when we're distracted? It means that we are not paying attention to the very thing that we ought to be paying attention to, right? Uh, in New York, I don't know if this happens to you, but uh, a lot of times where people are just kind of walking and they're looking at their phones at the same time and they kind of just run into you and it's really annoying. And it's like, Come on, watch where you're going. Pay attention to where you're walking. Or uh, maybe you're at work and uh, maybe you should be doing work, but no, you want to look at YouTube and you want to look at some, I don't know, some cat or dog videos or something. And uh, you, it distracts you from doing the work that you're doing. A, a distraction is essentially saying this. You're, you're taking your focus off where it should be, and you're putting your focus upon something else. And Martha here, she is described as somebody who is distracted with much serving. Why? Because her serving actually took the focus off where it should have been. Second, Martha, she was anxious, and she was troubled about many things. And uh, what is she anxious and troubled about? Well, we see it in verse 40. She says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Mar uh, Martha, she seems a little bit bitter, right? She seems a little bit bitter about the fact that Mary has left her and left her to serve alone. And this probably implies at one point maybe Mary was helping her out. Maybe Mary was helping Martha prepare something in the, in the kitchen and helping her get everything ready. But then she just kind of dropped everything in order to sit under Jesus' teaching. Now, maybe you can understand this frustration, especially if you are an older sibling and if you have a younger sibling. Now, I'm the opposite. I'm the younger sibling, so uh, I'm on the opposite side of that. But I remember when I was younger, uh, we used to have this yard, and uh, my sister and I, we were... Uh, we were supposed to rake the leaves, and my sister, she's five years older than me, so, you know, when we would rake the leaves, uh, in reality, she would start raking the leaves, and uh, as it got into this big pile, I would just run, and I would jump into the pile, and uh, my sister would understandably get very annoyed, and she would say to my mom, come on, what is this? It's not fair. Why am I doing all the work? Why does he get to kind of just play in the leaves and jump in this pile? And I think that's kind of what Martha is saying here. She's saying, look, Mary, she should be here with me. Why does she get to... Uh, why is she allowed to get uh, out of doing this work? And what Jesus says to Martha, he says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, do you, do you know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying this, you know, Martha, you are not focused on the right thing. You're too focused on doing when you should be focused on being. You're choosing to do something for me, but Mary is choosing to be with me and to sit under my teaching. You know, many years ago, I read this leadership book called uh, Good to Great. And it's not a Christian book. It's just a general leadership book. Uh, but I remember the, the, the title of that first chapter, and it said, Good is the Enemy of Great. And when I read that title, I thought, that, that's actually a great way to describe probably most of our struggle in, in our faith. 
Uh, we often settle for very good things, things like career, things like friendship, family, sleep, travel, food, all of these good things in the world. And uh, oftentimes we settle for them at the expense of the greatest thing, namely Jesus himself. And I think that's what Martha is doing here. She's serving, which is a good thing, but she's doing it at the expense of the greatest thing, being with Jesus and sitting at his feet. Mary, she had her priorities right. She knew that uh, she should probably have been serving alongside with Martha, but she also knew that it was more important at that moment to be with Jesus and to sit under his teaching. And by the way, you should know that in that culture, that is something very uh, unorthodox and something that's very radical. Uh, women were not normally uh, allowed to be in the, the public area or the public room where a lot of this discourse and debate would happen. Oftentimes, these rooms would be reserved for men. Uh, in that culture, women usually would not be allowed to sit under the teaching of a rabbi, but that would be reserved for men. And therefore, in that culture, women were basically expected to remain in the kitchen and serve the food. And... Uh, you know, I know we're in New York, so all of us are probably would take great offense to that. But you know, there are actually still uh, some cultures that that still practice that in, in a certain way. You know, when I was in college, uh, I, <laughs> when I was in college, you know, I had a Muslim friend, and uh, they were advertising the Islamic student group was advertising a little talk about the Muslim view of Jesus and how Muslims understand who Jesus is. So I was like, you know, that's interesting. I want to check it out. So I asked my Muslim friend, hey, I was like, you want to go to this? He's like, nah, I don't want to go to that. So I, I got two of my uh, other friends, two Christian friends. One was a male, one was a female. And I said, hey, do you want to, do you want to go to this? Let's uh, listen to this talk, and I want to kind of learn what, how Muslims view Jesus. So uh, they agreed, and, and we went. And it was in this, like, uh, you know, this basically a, co a college room, a college hall. And we went in. There weren't too many people there, uh, so there were a lot of empty seats. And the three of us, we went in, and we sat, we picked a row, and we sat down. Shortly after that, one of the ushers came and uh, asked the female friend and said, excuse me, uh, can you sit in the other room? <laughs> and uh, we were like, what? what? Why? And, and they said, oh, you know, this is just one of our, our practices uh, that men and women are, are segregated and are supposed to sit separately. Now, if, if you're an outsider to that kind of culture, you don't really think much of it. Uh, she wasn't embarrassed because she didn't know. Uh, she wasn't, she didn't make a big deal about it. It wasn't this huge scandal. Uh, the usher was you know, very friendly and very understanding and uh, understood that we were not a part of that culture, so we didn't understand the norms of that culture. But you know, if you were an insider in that kind of culture, then it's a different story, right? Mary, she's an insider in this culture, and she's aware of the social norms. She's aware that uh, men were supposed to do some, one thing and women were supposed to do one, another thing. But you know what she said? She said, forget these social norms. I need to be with Jesus. And even then we see her priorities, that she had her priorities right, that more than being the good host, more than serving, more than being busy, more than the doing, even more than conforming to the norms of her culture and her society, she is saying this by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, you are my priority. It is important for me to now be here with you and to sit with you. You see, the problem with Martha wasn't so much that she was serving. The problem is that she didn't have the right priorities. Now, a lot of us, we're, we're busy people, right? Some of us have busy jobs. Some of us have busy social lives. Some of us have busy extracurricular activities. Those of you with children, uh, you may have a busy family life. 
but not only that, I think I think there is a part of us where uh, maybe we enjoy being busy because uh, if we're busy, it gives us a greater sense of meaning and purpose. There was a New York Times uh, piece that came out a couple years ago, and the author Tim Crider he commented, you know, when you ask people how are you doing, the default answer, the answer that you always get is I'm so busy. Right? I'm so busy. Uh, how are you doing? Ah, busy. Really? How are you doing? I'm crazy busy. And uh, he has a theory, and he says, you know, I think people say that because people derive existential meaning out of their own busyness. If we have a lot to do, then it must mean we're important people, right? If we have a lot of things to do, it must mean that our lives are significant. And uh, perhaps there is a part of us that we, we actually like the busyness of life because it says, hey, I'm using my life well, and I have a lot of meaning. And I think that's how Martha was here. You see, busy, being busy is not, of course, bad in and of itself. But being busy can derail us from having the right priorities in life and focusing on the right things. Being busy is not bad as long as we're busy with the right things, but being busy with the wrong priorities can be very detrimental to not only our lives, but perhaps more importantly to our faith. And those of us who find ourselves busy, perhaps what we should really be asking ourselves is, are we busy with the right things? in life? Are we busy with the right things in life? Uh, here's how I imagine most of us live. Most of us probably just go through life doing stuff. We just do stuff all the time. Uh, maybe we don't reflect on whether the stuff that we're doing is what we should actually be doing. Uh, we do things to meet the next deadline. We do things so that the people around us don't get mad at us and upset at us. We do things and we base our priorities not based on what we should be doing, but we base our priorities based on what is the most urgent and what will make the least amount of people upset with us. But maybe that's how Martha set her priorities too, right? Maybe she said, what's the most urgent thing that needs to be done? Well, I need to make some lunch for the people in my house. Maybe she said, what do I have to do so that my guests don't get mad at me? Ah. I gotta be in the kitchen. I gotta make sure they eat. I gotta make sure they have full stomachs. And you see, by living her life in that way, she missed out on the very best thing being with Jesus. I want us to maybe take a step back for a moment and uh, outside of this passage, and I want us to consider uh, the wider context of this, this section in the Gospel of Luke. You know, what Luke is doing here is he is stringing together a bunch of stories, and I think he's making a point about discipleship. And uh, the passage that comes before this one, it's a well-known story about the Good Samaritan. And if you're not familiar with that story, it's basically a story where uh, Jesus uh, tells the story of a Good Samaritan who helps a man who was beaten on the side of the road by robbers. Uh, he was robbed. And then you have these religious leaders, and they see this man beaten on the side of the road, and they just kind of walk by him. But then a Samaritan comes and sees this man and bandages up his wounds and takes him to the inn and uh, pays for the inn. And that's, that's a story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. And I think most of the time when we read that story, what we get out of it is we say, what the Good Samaritan did, that's what we should be doing too. Uh, the people who are beaten on the side of the road, we need to bandage up their wounds and we need to take care of them. And we often forget what actually prompted Jesus to tell this story. You know why Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan? It's because there was a lawyer and he stood up and he asked Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And I think what Jesus is doing is he's giving a lesson here meant to show the lawyer, you know what, you can't do anything to inherit eternal life because the kind of love that you are required to give and to show all the time, you cannot give. Therefore, it's not about doing, it is about receiving. It's not about you being a neighbor to the half-dead men on the side of the road in need of a neighbor to heal you and to give you life, but it's about you yourself being that half-beaten dead man on the side of the road in need of a neighbor, in need of a good Samaritan to bring you to life. And Jesus is supposed to be that neighbor. He is that neighbor for us. Do you know what I find interesting about Jesus? Uh, look at his life. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is a man who healed people. This is a man who cast out demons. This is a man who multiplied bread and fish. If anybody should have been busy, shouldn't have been Jesus. You would think so, right? But then there's a lot of times where Jesus, as crowds are flocking towards him, and uh, maybe he's getting pulled in all of these different directions, that even Jesus himself would find a place alone to pray. He would find a place alone to pray. You know, sometimes we do feel like we're needed, and sometimes we feel like everybody needs us. Our work needs us. Our friends need us. Our family needs us. Even our church needs us. Didn't people need Jesus? Didn't people need his healing? But you see, the reason why Jesus finds a place alone and gets away from the crowds is not because he didn't care about the people. It's, it's not because people weren't a priority to him. It's not that he didn't want to physically heal them. But it's because Jesus had a greater purpose and a greater mission. Uh, he didn't ultimately come to heal people of physical ailments and physical sicknesses, but he came to heal all of us of a deep spiritual sickness within our hearts. Martha, she, she chose work over relationship. Mary, she chose relationship over her work. Jesus, he had to work in order to restore and create relationship. You see, Jesus' priority ultimately, the reason why he came onto this earth, the reason why he didn't get bogged down in the busyness of everything else that he potentially could have done, his main priority, his main mission was to come to earth and to die upon a cross. That was his work. That was the work that he was called to do. And in that work, we now have relationship. We now have access to him. We now have the ability to call him uh, friend. Well, radical. We can now say that we are united to him and by analogy that he is the bridegroom. That there is that fellowship and that intimacy there. It's in view of his work that we can now derive our meaning, our purpose, and our significance, and our identity, not from our work, but from his work. It's now because of his work that we can experience deep spiritual rest and be free from all of our worries and all of our anxieties because our burdens now rest upon him alone. You see, we, uh, we, I think we have this tendency to make Christianity primarily about the work that we do. And when we do that, we, make, we end up with a faith that 
I think feels like a heavy burden, uh, feels more like uh, something we have to do rather than something that really gives us freedom and gives us peace. But you see, Christianity is primarily about receiving Christ. It's not about doing for Christ. It's primarily about receiving Christ and finding our ultimate rest and satisfaction in him. That's, that's what it means to be a disciple. And so how do we cultivate this? You know, as I mentioned before, this section about, on Luke is, I think, about discipleship. I think one of the primary marks of someone who follows Jesus is someone who prays. It's someone who prays. Uh, you know what happens after this passage, in the following passage? You know what Jesus does? He teaches his disciples how to pray. That's when he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. You know what happens in the beginning of this chapter? Jesus says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then what does he say after that? He doesn't say, Therefore, get to work, people. Right? Therefore, get to recruiting. Go out there. Make it happen. Jesus says none of those things. Do you know what he says? He says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Prayer. I think, I think this whole chapter is about prayer. I think this whole section is about prayer. How do we cultivate this kind of life? We have to pray, friends. Some of you might say, well, isn't prayer work too? <laughs> well, yeah. Sometimes it can feel like work, to which uh, you know, I would respond, yeah. It, it feels like work sometimes. But you know, if it does feel like work for us, it just means that we have a lot more room to grow in terms of our relationship with, with God. Uh, that's okay, though. Right? I think that's okay. I think sometimes we have to start praying out of duty uh, because maybe from there, eventually it turns into delight and we become a people who delight in prayer. You know, I think it's kind of like a marriage relationship. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you don't enjoy the other person as you ought. Uh, sometimes you, you just do something out of love, not because you want to, not because you delight in it, but, but because you just have to do it. Uh, that's fine. Sometimes you need to do that. But, you know, if it stays there, that's not good for the marriage, right? Uh, sometimes you have to look, uh, sometimes you have to start with duty, but eventually it has to get to a point of delight. Eventually you have to start enjoying the other person or else the relationship feels like a drudgery. I think maybe uh, if our relationship with God, if our spiritual life feels like a drudgery, maybe that's a problem. Maybe we interpret... Christianity, primarily through the lens of work and what we have to do and what we have to achieve and what we have to accomplish. And we don't look at it as primarily enjoying God himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Why do, why do we have a hard time praying? Why do people in New York have a hard time praying? Here's my guess. We're just too busy, right? We feel like we're too busy with things. Uh, why is it that whenever someone organizes a prayer meeting, the turnout is always so small? <laughs> well, people have things to do. Yeah. People's, people got busy lives. I, I, I actually think, um, you know, Women's Fellowship a couple weeks ago, uh, there was this activity of outreach of serving food to the homeless. And by the way, I think that's a great thing, and we should, uh, we should do more of that. And I don't want to give the impression that we shouldn't do those things. But I would also guess that for maybe many of us, doing something like that is easier than just praying. Uh, and I think part of the reason why things like that are easier is because we feel like we're doing something. 
We're active. For many of us, it's much easier to be active and to do something active than to simply sit and to pray, to sit at Jesus' feet, to enjoy him, right? We're just like Martha. As I said, I have no business preaching a sermon because I know I am just like Martha. And that's, my, that's perhaps my greatest struggle. Is my wife here? I asked her, are you going to listen to the sermon today? Because if you do, I'm going to feel judged because <laughs> she says that to me all the time. All you care about is productivity. I'm just like Martha. You know what that means? We, we don't have our priorities straight. We derive our significance from doing things for Jesus rather than being at the feet of Jesus. If you're too busy to pray, you don't have the right priorities. Work is not more important. Uh, family, even, is not more important. Hey, serving this church is even not more important than being with Christ and praying. I'm concerned that perhaps as a church, I don't think we pray enough. I don't think we prioritize it enough. I think part of that is my fault because I know, and for some of you who've organized prayer meetings, um, you kind of stop doing it because people don't show up. <laughs> You're like, what's the point? People don't show up to it. That's a concern to me because it means that maybe our church, we don't have the right priorities. Even Jesus, in the busyness of what he could have had in his life, even as crowds were flocking towards him. And by the way, his work is far more important than anything that we do, right? Even then, he took time away and he prayed. Is your time more important than Jesus' time? I don't think so. Is my time more important than Jesus' time was? I don't think so. Let's recognize Mary, she chose the better portion. She chose the better portion because she chose to sit at Jesus' feet. May we be a people who choose the better portion as well. Let's pray together.